اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ذالکم بما کنتم تفرحون فی الارض بغیر الحق وبما کنتم تمرحون ادخلوا ابواب جہنم خالدین فیها فبئس مثل متکبرین صلی اللہ سبحانہ تعالی through the angels will uh, taunt these people who are always fighting with Allah and challenging his signs in the dunya and they are eventually sent to, um, to Jahannam that this is all because he used to be Uh, very happy on the earth without any reason, without any truth. Tafrahoon, mm. farah, is a sense of happiness and joy with a sense of pride also. Mm. Yeah. So the Quran mentions that there is this farah, this happiness and joy, that is based on vanity and based on uh, possessing material wealth in the world and based on competition with other people in acquiring wealth and so on. That's one type of farah, or happiness and joy which the Qur'an terms of بِغَيْرِ الْحَقِّ without any truth. It is false. There's another sense of joy and happiness which the Qur'an commends, and that is the happiness that comes with Allah's fadl and with Allah's ni'mah. قُلْ بِفَضْلِ اللَّهِ وَبِرَحْمَتِهِ فَبِذَلِكَ فَلْيَفْرَحُوا say that with Allah's fadl and his rahmah, you should be happy. So that one is happiness in and of itself, which probably is a good thing. It's a good thing to be happy in general and to be pleased. It gives you a sense of a positive attitude and a positive image and understanding of things and understanding of you. But if the reason for your happiness is based on falsehood, then the happiness is not good. Because then you are conceited. So here in this ayah, Allah is talking about being conceited. Whereas in the other ayah, which I quoted from Surah Yunus, is about being pleased with Allah's fadl and being content and being proud that Allah is favoring you. This is about where you see the happiness in. Is the happiness in Allah's fadl, or is the happiness in the world, or is the happiness in what you have earned and gained? بِغَيْرِ yeah. الْحَقِّ So Allah will say to these people, or the angels will say to these people, that you were conceited. Uh, with everything that you gained and because of your vanity and all of that. So, وَبِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَمْرَحُونَ 
um, because you would be very pompous uh, about your your gains and whatever it is that you had uh, acquired and accumulated in the world, uh, whether it was power or whether it was strength or whether it was assets or whatever, that you were extremely proud and arrogant about everything that you had at your disposal. So this psychological state which leads to spiritual corrosion and erosion leads to vanity, pride and arrogance which leads to Jahannam, basically. And that is what the next ayah says. Udkhulu abu'aba jahannam fiha Since your state of arrogance and your pride and your vanity was permanent in you, you're going to now enter into Jahannam forever because your state was permanent. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives respite and time for everybody to realize and appreciate that they must change uh, and they must submit to Allah and His creations in the sense that they obey the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation and they obey Allah's laws also. And that is how if you do not do that and you're arrogant about the whole thing and you believe in monopoly, you believe, believe in control and you believe in, believe in exploitation and all of that, then that is a sign of tremendous arrogance and therefore the ayah concludes with So evil is the dwelling place of those who are arrogant. So it is the arrogance in man that leads him to self-destruction. And the place where there is self-destruction is Jahannam. And that's where man unfortunately may end up if they don't go about changing themselves and realizing that uh, success comes with humility or you should be humble when you are successful and you should help people and you should not exploit people. Uh, so it's a very natural cause and effect, as I've mentioned several times before. Uh, this is the way the ayat of the Qur'an read uh, to the reader who knows and understands. Allah's creation understands cause and effect, and so on. فَاصْبِرْ إِنَّ وَعَدُ اللَّهِ حَقِّ فَإِمَّا نُرِيَنَّكَ بَعْضَ الَّذِينَ عَيْدُهُمْ أَوْ نَتَوَفَّيَنَّكَ فَإِلَيْنَا يُرْجَعُونَ فَاصْبِرْ O Muhammad ﷺ, now be patient, be steadfast, and then continue with your mission. That in the the wake and against the uh, onslaught of resistance by the Quraysh and the people of Makkah against the Prophet against Muslims and against Islam, reassurances like this one is uh, very um, pleasing to the ear and it is necessary for the Prophet in order uh, to keep him going. You always need encouragement and reassurances from especially the one who is sending you on this mission so that there is a, uh, a sense of closeness, a sense of awareness that Allah knows where you are 
and where you are going. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Fasbir is a huge reassurance to the Prophet in his campaign, in his mission to deliver the world and see uh, how far Allah takes him. Inna wa'adallahi haqq. Indeed, the promise of Allah is the truth. It is going to happen. It is a reality. And definitely you will see the promise of Allah coming to you in some way, shape or form. Uh, and that is how in the seerah the Prophet ﷺ continued his mission and his campaign despite uh, all odds against him and at the time of tremendous despair and almost a sense of total failure as in the time of Taif and so on. So those times, in those days, and at that time, the Prophet ﷺ is being reassured by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that just as in the story of Musa, there was a man who hid his faith and came to the rescue of the Nabi of the time, likewise, you will find people who will help you, but your help and your people will be a community. It will not, it will not be a single man. It will be a whole group of people known as the Sahaba who will come to your aid, to your assistance, and to your rescue, as the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says later on. Allah is the one who has supported you with his help and with the believers. So the believers are a source of tremendous assistance for the Prophet Allah doesn't say that you did this alone. You did this with Allah's help and you did this with the believers. So just as there was a believing man in the midst of the people of Fir'aun. Likewise, there were believing men and women in the midst of the Prophet ﷺ. And that's how you will get the context of the surah, if you understand that part of the seerah, which happened later on in Medina. This surah is Makki, and the promise came in Medina. Indeed, the promise of Allah is happening. It is the truth. It's the reality. So here, the Prophet knows at this time, when this eye is revealed, that help invariably, ultimately will come. But he's not expecting it to come today. That's how they are made. That's how they are trained. After all of this time, in Nabuwa, he understands that Allah promises and Allah delivers on his promise at some time, whenever the time is right, uh, then the help comes. Okay, so for the one who is now into da'wah, as I mentioned, your role is to convey, not to convert. And if you don't understand that, you should not be doing that kind of work, because you'll just fall flat on your face and you'll give up. And unfortunately, sometimes you might just give up Islam totally, if you see you see failure after failure, no one's listening to me. They're not supposed to listen to you. They're human beings. <laughs> Haven't you heard yet that human beings are the most stubborn species that Allah has created? Yeah, just read the seerah of all the MBA, you see how they face rejection and refutation and resistance and opposition. Hmm, that's why you need to know 
before you get into that mode of trying to convert, uh, that first convert yourself into what? Into a patient man. And if you don't have that, don't do that work. It will hurt you and it will hurt other people. Yeah, so you have to be made for this, you have to be trained for it. Like the Sahaba in Mecca were trained for sabr. And they were trained with sabr. Likewise in Medina, they were trained with sabr and for sabr. So sabr now, patience, is a tool, is a weapon in order to go to the battlefield of da'wah. If you don't have the tool of sabr, you cannot give da'wah. So sabr is your shield against failure against becoming despondent, against, uh, you know, hopelessness, and so on. So sabr is there, it's a shield. Yeah. It shields you from yourself and from uh, total despair, and so on. So there's a fasbir, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَاسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَاةِ Seek help with sabr. Meaning, how do you seek help with sabr? Sabr means that you are patient. Patience means what? You don't do anything. <laughs> right? Patience means you keep on going, even though you don't see the results. So it's not corporate America that is result-driven. Uh, Dawa is not corporate America. It's not result-driven. It's driven by your ikhlas, by your sincerity. You may not see any results whatsoever. And that should be fine with you. But do you have that stamina? Do you have that resilience? Okay? Do you have that uh, durability? And the answer is no. Nobody has that. So just do what you need to do. And learn more and more. And let those who are qualified give the real dawah. You can give dawah now and then. Occasional uh, talking to people, having a dialogue, discussion. But that's not dawah. Okay? That's just exposing who you are. As a Muslim, that's called reasonable exposure, as I've mentioned before. Dawah has to be organized, it has to be strategic, it has to be planned, it, it needs a, a lot of power and money and credibility in order for you to say, I'm giving dawah. So the Prophet's giving dawah was organized, it was strategic, and until the Sahaba came from Medina, they did not have any financial resources and they didn't have the resources of a community behind them. And when they made hijrah, now you had a community behind the da'wah of the Prophet where he was able to establish an organized strategic plan by which they could call people uh, at a very comprehensive level towards Islam. Okay, so there's a, obviously partial da'wah that you call people towards Salat and Salm and everything else, but there's a complete da'wah which is only possible through a Nabi when he's organized by another group of people who says, we will take care of your uh, financial and political and societal needs. It has to be on the back of an ummah. Okay? It cannot be individualistic. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're Ibrahim al-Islam. Then it's fine. You can do that. In Ibrahim kan ummatan. Ibrahim was a complete ummah. That's different because... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's role for Ibrahim was different 
than that of the role of the Prophet With the Prophet his role was to develop the Ummah, so the Ummah would then be ready to take Islam outside of Arabia into all four corners of the world, and that he completed. He didn't stay here in the world to see that, but he completed his mission and task. Uh, so there you have to be careful. Fasbir, be patient. Patience is a, yeah, it's a tall order. Yeah. So either we will now show you something that we have promised you, or we will take you and remove you from the earth. Meaning, will cause death upon you. Uh, so here Allah is saying to the Prophet whether you see our help or whether you don't see our help. The goal is, your, it is to us your returning. And when you return to us, we will judge you according to your performance. We won't judge you according to your results. Mm. So that Nabuwa is performance-driven. It is not driven by results. What is the performance of a Nabi? That is measured in terms of moral ethics and behavior and gratitude and uh, longevity and resilience and stamina and sabr and tawakkul and uh, ibadah and all of that, altruism. Mm. That's how Nabuwa is measured on performance. It's not measured according to how many people convert and how many people accept Islam, as the next ayah will show you. The next ayah talks about other prophets. Right? So here we must appreciate Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that the reason why we want to you to be patient is that so that you develop uh, to the highest level of patience so that others can follow you as a human being. The Prophet ﷺ is the best human being and uh, whatever he achieved as a human being, other human beings may follow him. Mm-hmm. So the reason why you're there is that you become the role model for others to follow you and that will be how we judge your performance. You know? If he was not a Nabi, if he was not a human being, then others would not be able to follow him. He's not a human being. But he's a human being. And as a human being, he developed this level of patience and gratitude, sabr and shukr, both at a level that it is humanly possible now to climb the highest mountain uh, as a human being. Uh, And the Sahaba did that collectively as a group of people they followed the Prophet ﷺ. So we must be aware of these values. I have been sent and raised so that I perfect the highest standards of ethics and morals and behavior, meaning that people will follow me in my behavior. And if you don't, then you're not following the Prophet ﷺ. So it's okay to say that, alhamdulillah, people are accepting Islam. But at the same time, you must find people who are following the Prophet ﷺ in his behavior, in his character, in his personality, and all of that. So now here, Allah is now saying 
to the Prophet ﷺ that other messengers came before you. In other messengers, there were some messengers who had plenty of converts and plenty of people that they could train, like in the Banu Israel, Musa Salam, and so on. But in the Banu Israel, there was Isa Salam who didn't have too many converts in his lifetime. Those people became Christian then, 200 years later. <laughs> They're not the true Christians who follow Isa The true people who follow Isa were very few. A handful of people. And there were some Anbiya and some Rusul uh, who didn't have too many at all with Nuh okay, with his 80 odd people on the ship, on the ark, and others, Ibrahim, we don't know of too many people who were following him in his time, his nephew, Lut, his wife, and his children, and a few others who were there at that time. They don't see too many people who are. There in, in in that category of people who convert, ah, meaning that just as uh, people Rusul and Ambiya uh, before you came, and they uh, did, we didn't measure their success according to the number of people who followed them, but they were successful. Mm. Why were they successful? Because Allah says so. That when we tested Ibrahim with many words, uh, he passed those tests. So the passing the test is the performance against which Allah measures a Nabi. Hmm. The Allah didn't say that, that the whole world now accepts you, therefore you pass the test. He didn't say that. He said you pass the test because you pass the test. Right? These are the tests. One, two, three. So when you pass the test, you are successful. So success, success means you pass the test. So here with the Prophet is the same, that you must pass the test of patience and resilience and stamina, durability, longevity, dua, ibadah, taqwa, tawakkul, all of this. And when you pass the test, you are successful. Allah's fadl upon you is that you have a whole group of people a whole ummah behind you to help you do that and do what needs to be done in order to fulfill the promise of Allah. Okay, but there are some rusul, minhum and qasasna alik, that we mentioned, uh, accounted for them, and there are some that we did not account for them. وَمِنْهُمْ لَمْ نَقْصُسْ alik. There are others that we did not narrate to you who they are, what they are, what they did, etc. Hmm. So some of the Rusul and the Anbiya and the Prophets and the Messengers you know, because we told you, and some you don't know, because we didn't tell you. But you believe in all of them. Hmm. Yeah, you believe in all of them, meaning that they're the seerah of certain Prophets. We have revealed to you their names, we have revealed to you and there are others we have not revealed to you as well. Obviously, this is in Mecca. <coughs> this is in Mecca. And the night of Isra, the Prophet met all of them. Oh, that's different. After that, if you want to include that in your aqidah, then that is plausible if you know the order of revelation here. It is not for Rasul that he brings about a sign of Allah, a miracle, except with Allah's leave. 
when Allah gives permission to a Rasul to bring a sign, then the Rasul brings a sign. Yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't allow the Rasul to bring a sign unless there is permission given by Allah, meaning that the sign that the Rasul brings is through Allah's order, Allah's leave, Allah's permission. They don't do anything to disturb the cause and effect rule themselves. So Allah wants the Anbiya and the Rasul, the Prophets and the Messengers to follow the rule of law and order and the rule of cause and effect. Right. So if the Prophet وسلم, uh, now is hungry, he needs to eat. Okay. Right? Yeah. If the Prophet وسلم, God forbid, or any Nabi is, God forbid, sick, he needs to treat it. Yeah. If the Prophet Sallallahu's uh, teeth, Mubarak, are now you know, taken out in Ahad, then they're not replaced immediately as a miracle. He doesn't have, it, he doesn't have those two teeth. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, cause and effect. They will follow the law of cause and effect of this world. Mm. And that is with every Nabi. And that is the proof that Isa and Maryam are not divine. Mm. Yeah. Allah says about Isa and Maryam that they would eat food. They would follow the rules of cause and effect. They're not divine because the divine doesn't need food. Yeah. So because you follow the rules of cause and effect, you're human. So the prophets come to show human beings that Within cause and effect, you can be a good person. As a miracle which goes against cause and effect, which goes against the rule, then that is a miracle. That is a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah is capable of creating this without the cause or without the effect. Without the effect in the time that Ibrahim used the cause to to sacrifice his son, but the effect was not created. So that's a sign. And the sign that uh, Zakaria was old and he didn't have the cause by which he could procreate a son, but Allah did. Uh, so that sometimes with uh, Isa being created without a father, the cause is not there, but the effect is there. So it works both ways. Sometimes Allah will create without the cause and sometimes Allah will create without the effect. So the sabab and musabab issue discussion comes in kalam, in our theology, and so on. So there you must appreciate that no rasul brings about a miracle without Allah's permission. When Allah gives permission, then the rasul is allowed to bring the miracle. So since the rasul is the one who materializes the miracle, is attributed to him, Otherwise, the Tawheed is that it is now attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so on. So there. So the reason why miracles occur is to show people that Allah is capable of creating without going through the natural cause and effect process. If they understand that, they're in trouble. Right. Now when the Amr of Allah comes, 
then the haq and the truth is determined then they have no reason to deny afterwards so miracles if they are performed they have obviously many effects one effect is that the people who don't believe in the rasul that they won't believe in allah they'll just say this is magic right meaning that you don't believe in the rasul in the first place so whatever the rasul does or brings you're not going to believe whatever he says or does and that then you will say they will, you will condemn him as a magician a sorcerer and uh, all of that then the matter is resolved qudiya bilhaq is determined meaning that's your fate then you will seal your fate because the hujja the final argument has been given to you has been pasted to you wa khasira hunalika almuqtilun and that the natural effect of this is that those who are now in falsehood and they apply falsehood in their lives and the lives of the people they'll be in a state of complete loss at that time khasira they'll be losers they will not know what to do and how to do and how to escape Allah's final decree and punishment uh, so now the the point of a miracle sometimes is that the hujja is established if it is for non muslims the point of a miracle for muslims is to show Allah's baraka uh, so the mujizat that have different uh, kind of functions one function is to reassure believers of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam make dua for food and there was plenty of food although there was very little food and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he uh, submerged his fingers mubarak into a vessel with a little bit of water uh, water came gushing out through his fingers uh, mubarak and that is a miracle for the believers the sign the word ayah sign so there's a sign that goes against human beings if they don't believe in the rasul and there's a sign that creates more baraka for believers when they believe in the rasul so this is the ayah but both are through allah's idhn allah's permission he doesn't do that all the time occasionally he will do it uh, for reassurances and for determining the fate of uh, people mm. so that is the the theology behind that and the stories of the quran and the sunnah will verify exactly our aqida as we see it but they do occur okay this is a sign yeah some people unfortunately uh, because they only see cause and effect in the world uh, they try to explain miracles through cause and effect and they make what we call ta'wil false interpretations of these verses of the quran where they say that this is not really a miracle it may be explained this way so it is what it is oh, uh, so there you have to be careful you don't fall into that category of people who deny allah's creativity allah's power uh, and his ability to override cause and effect because that's what he does i mean he can do that and he has done that uh, so on. so there so some people Uh, who claim to be interpreters of the Quran they are distorters of the Quran and you should be careful uh, that whenever you read a sign in the Quran an ayah a miracle it should be a physical miracle 
that you believe in and not an interpretation, uh, a scientific aberration of a phenomenon, uh, simply because you don't want to give up your paradigm that cause and effect is now immutable and irrefutable. You mustn't go that way. Uh, so I'm, talking, I'm telling you that when you read translations of the Quran in English, be careful that uh, you, you, you don't mess up your aqidah. Uh, so not every translation is good. You have to be careful. Mm. So that's our aqidah. But Allah does, when He does allow Rasul to do something outside of the rule of cause and effect, it's His permission. And they do happen, they do occur. Because the Quran says so, like Isra, and then later on Miraj. That is now against cause and effect. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created and opened up the Red Sea for Musa alayhi salam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed Isa alayhi salam to do things that uh, were miraculous and everything else that Allah, as I said, either in the cause or in the effect, there's going to be some change. So that Mubtilun. وَخَصِرَ هُنَالِكَ الْمُبْطِلُونَ means to seek to destroy and it means to seek to cause falsehood in the minds of people. So that I'm referring to those false translators you have in the Ummah. That people say that we should read every translation. No, no, you don't read every translation. Come to Dar al-Qasim if you want to read translation. Sit down with the ulama and say, ask, uh, is this translation correct or not? Your aqidah uh, must be in line with the aqidah of the Ahlul Sunnah al-Jama'ah, the Sunnis. What do they say about this ayah so that you don't fall into the trap of those who are what this ayah calls mubtilun, those who promote falsehood. Mm, yeah. So false is not just that in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the Quraysh rejected the miracles. That's one category. The falsehood continues today, uh, where you have a lot of people, Qaddabun, Dajjalun, uh, liars and uh, imposters in the Ummah, uh, who try to distort everything the Qur'an says and uh, try to explain everything in a scientific way and then, then try to mislead the Ummah and say that this is not black magic or not magic and not sorcery. And all of that. So you have to be careful. If Allah is capable of creating Isa salam without a father, uh, then say so. That's not black magic. That's not magic. That's Allah's creation. Right? And the bigger creation is Allah created Adam and Adam without a father, without a mother. Right? And then, then you distort, oh, maybe there's evolution here. See, the mubtil, the mind of the mubtil is, is uh, perverse. They'll distort that also. How can God create without a mother, without a father? Oh, he did so that. No, Adam didn't come from that. Adam came through a process of evolution and the primates and then Neanderthals and whoever, whatever came before that. Right, so that's Allah's sign. Allah's sign and proof of his existence that Allah creates without a father and a mother and Allah creates without, uh, what do you call it, a mother uh, for Hawa al-Islam. Allah creates without a father for Isa al-Islam. 
That is a sign. That is what we call without cause and effect. Yeah. So then you cannot go into the category of those translators of the Quran who seek to deceive you and mislead you. So you have to be careful that as you read a translation of the Quran, make sure your aqidah is correct first. That's why aqidah tahawiyah is a must reading for every Muslim on the planet. It's for the ayin, in my opinion. Every Muslim must take a course on aqidah tahawiyah, whether it's English, Urdu, Arabic, it doesn't matter. Take the course. Get your aqidah correct. Why? Because if you don't, you will misread the Quran. And you'll be guilty of jahal and ignorance and a shameful doom. That is not the haqq. This is the haqq. So we must appreciate what this ayah is saying at the end. There, that time. When they see an ayah from Allah, then they try to reject it. And they say, no, this is unscientific. I don't believe in this. It doesn't matter whether you believe in it or not. Allah created you. And that for you should be the greatest sign. Hmm. That he creates you. Anyway, so Allah then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enumerates the other signs that he has already created for you in his existence, in his creation, so that you take advantage of his blessings and his inamad uh, uh, and his gifts and his fadl in terms of how Allah has provided for you. So many resources. Okay. So one resource is the resource of cattle and other animals that you use. The Allah is the one who has made for you cattle so that you may ride them and so, they, so that you may eat from them. Right? So the cattle then extension, you'll have horses and you have camels and everything else that you ride, Allah has created those for you. Where did they come from? Mm. Allah has made them for you. Mm. Yeah. So Allah created those for you. Allah put them on earth for you before you came to earth. They did not evolve after you came into existence. They were already there for you. And that you may eat from them. So you have a dual role, a dual purpose that you may use them for. Uh, carrying goods and for transportation and you may also use them for your own transportation at the same time you may also consume them for your consumption for your benefit then other place of the Quran and for you in them there are so many other usages that you will use the hide you will use the skin you will use the tail uh, to the extent that you'll even use its manure. Yeah. So even the manure of cattle is going to be used by you so that it helps you in your farming. There's so many different types of manafia, usages, utilities, benefits. So who does all this that from one species or one group of animals, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided so much utility for you he is the one who does this for you. Allah, Allah is the one who does this. That's a sign. And that's a miracle. I mean, he created this so that you may do this and do this and so on. So, yeah. minha. So you ride them. Then when you ride them, camels and horses 
and others, then you will see uh, that you will have uh, esteem and it will be a symbol for you. So they, they are means of zina, as Allah calls the horses, and a means of zina and pride and esteem and a symbol uh, in society that nowadays obviously horses are used for horse racing and that's a symbol of so-called wealth or whatever. But anyway, so there, even there, for your societal needs, you have animals, a stock, livestock, as seen as a symbol, a symbol of wealth and prestige, as I said. So that even for societal needs, you're using animals as a measure, as an index for your societal value and also financial value and so on. And also food. Food comes from uh, these uh, animals, cattle, every uh, person, mashallah. So there's food and fodder in the animals for Allah is the one who created them for your food and for your risk and for your sustenance. Okay, so veganism uh, is not a religion. Don't make veganism into a religion or become a vegetarian because you don't want to eat meat. If you're not eating meat for health reasons or because uh, the hormones injected into the animals, that's one thing. But if you're a vegan or a vegetarian because you are a religious vegan and vegetarian, that's un-Islamic. You can't do that. You cannot make anything halal, haram upon you. It's a sin. If somebody is a vegan then they must taste meat now and then occasionally, once a week, once or twice a month, so that they don't see that as a religion. Oh, be careful. Because Allah says, وَمِنْ هَتَأْكُلُونَ You should eat from it. Allah wants you to eat from it. He's giving you that as food. Now, if the whole industry is corrupted and you don't like what the industry has to offer, that's fine, that's a different issue. Uh, that's not because you believe that animals should not be eaten. If you subscribe to the idea that animals should not be eaten, then you might as well be a Hindu. And even they eat meat now, when they came to the USA. Right. So even they've changed. So I said, the idea, oh, we shouldn't hurt animals. Allah created animals for a reason. This is one reason. There's no harm in harming animals if it's for your use. That's the height of pacifism. Right. And then the irony of all ironies is that they will kill you if you hurt an animal. Right. They're violent about it. You ever seen these people who are pro-animal? Yeah. They're violent people. They will hit you. And they will harm you because you're harming the animal. That's a religion. That's a deen. You can't subscribe to that. You can say, we should not hurt animals. That's fine. Nuh salam's role was to save all species. So he saved and preserved all species on the ark. That is fine. But he preserved them so that we could use them. He didn't preserve them because he, he wanted to keep all of them in the zoo. Right? So that's how you must understand that women had that kulun that you eat from them a little bit so that you say Allah has given me this ni'mah, this ni'mah, this ni'mah as I said that if, you, if your idea is that uh, the, the industry offers no 
no healthy meat anymore, or the chicken has too many hormones. Uh, no, that's that's very different from saying I subscribe to the idea that we should not hurt animals for our consumption and so on. And there are other means of benefit for you there. Obviously, then you get into the idea of hunting animals for their skin, for their hide, and poaching elephants for their ivory tusk and all that. That's a different issue. Okay. If you need to, yes. There's nothing wrong with using cowhide right, for your clothing. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with using any kind of hide if, you, if it's going to help you. And so on. exploitation is different from using. Okay, you use within reason, but you can't exploit. And the exploitation is for commercial reasons, is for capitalism. It is not for human uh, consumption. So where human beings are in the natural order, and they will go with what we call the balanced way to understand how to use natural resources, then you can use whatever you want to do. When you breed and exploit animals, and then it becomes violent, and then it becomes inhuman to treat those animals as pure commercial commodities. That, that's very different okay, from what the Quran is saying here. So Quran says, وَلَكُمْ فِيهَا مَنَافِعَ That there are other means of benefit for you. As I said, in their hide, in their bones, in their, in their hair, in their tails, in their hooves, and also in their manure. Everything. So there's benefit, definitely there's utility for you, and that's the reason Allah has created them, so that you may benefit from them without exploitation, obviously, within reason, and uh, everything in what you call it, in, 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 within its limits and not to go beyond the excess, uh, within, into excess and so on. وَلِتَبْلُغُ عَلَيْهَا حَاجًا So that you may reach upon them your needs, meaning transportation, transporting goods from one place to another or using animals to plough the land and to tilt the earth <coughs> and for irrig- irrigation and everything else. That's all fine. There's nothing wrong. And that Allah is the one who does this for you. So Allah has placed these props for you on earth so that you may benefit from them and not exploit them and not abuse them. في صدوركم Needs in your hearts وعليها وعلى الفلك تحملون And also carrying upon them and carrying upon the ships whatever you need to carry and transport. Means of transportation is a utility for all human beings that if you are able to transport food from one place to another, goods from one place to another, that helps your uh, commercial life, that helps your business, uh, that helps you uh, appreciate and exchange goods and foods across the globe as part of a global society. So Allah is the one who is doing this for you. So right from the micro-individual level of living in rural areas, up to the, what we call it, modern-day globalization of human beings that you transport things on vessels and ships, including the planes uh, on which you transport cargo and human beings and all of them. Whatever Allah allows the human being to create, it is a ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah says, وَيُرِيكُمْ آيَاتِهِ Then he shows you his signs. فَأَيَّ آيَاتِ اللَّهِ تُنْكِرُونَ So which one of Allah's signs are you then going to deny? 
These are signs and proofs of Allah's grace and mercy within uh, the cosmos, within your lives, on this earth. That's, there are so many uh, props Allah has already organized for you without you asking. Uh, where did the first horse come from? Where did the first cow come from? Where did the first camel come from? Where did the first chicken come from? Who created all of that? And so now science may explain away all of this through whatever biological evolution, whatever. But there's a much easier answer. And Allah did. <laughs> it's so easy to say, Allah does. So you give Allah the credit, and what's wrong with you, people? You want to give now these, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, bacteria and amoeba and everything else, you want to give them credit for creating and developing this great system and organization and, and scheme uh, within which you leave, within which you live, and you want to discard Allah. So you're rejecting Allah, Tunkirun. You're denying Him, you're rejecting Him. So you don't want to do that in the name of progress, in the name of science in the name of evolution and all of this. And there's a new theory, uh, which is a new type of kufr. Mm. In the old days, there was a different type of kufr. Now we have a different type of kufr altogether. And this is the type of kufr, which unfortunately the Quran is alluding to, and we must appreciate as very simple observers of Allah's rahmah, Allah's ni'mah, Allah's fadl, that Allah does this for us, and we must appreciate that Allah has given us these uh, inamat blessings so that we may use them without abusing them. And that is the key, uh, that you use them within reason and you take advantage of them and you thank Allah and you take care of everything that is around you. You have a safe and a sober life and that is how you comply with the natural order that Allah has created in the heavens and on earth. So this is a call towards Iman. Um, so the Prophet ﷺ is here being instructed to make sabr. Uh, and the way that sabr works is by observing cause and effect. And in the natural cause and effect, Allah has already provided so many means of his rahmah for you in the cosmos, in his creation, that you take advantage of everything that he creates. Likewise, he is going to create for you another order, and that order is based on the cause, which is your sabr, your patience, your resilience, your perseverance. So all of this is a cause. What is the effect? That people will come into Islam. So that's one cause, meaning in the cone, in the cosmos, and there's another cause. In this rule, in this game of Nabuwa and Risala, you have a cause and effect. What is the cause? Your sabr. What is the effect? Allah's fadl on you through the believers. So this is how you're now going to uh, draw a bridge between Allah's ayah in his creation and Allah's ayah within the Prophet ﷺ. That is a bigger miracle that Allah allows the Prophet ﷺ to develop and raise himself to the highest bar of ethics and moral behavior. Uh, that it is inconceivable for any other human being to even think about going there. Uh, so that he performed and perfected as a human being. And that's why we follow him, because he is human. Jazakumullah khair. Well, inshallah, make dua. Allah gives us tawfiq.
to read, recite, and understand the Qur'an the way the Prophet ﷺ did so and the way the Sahaba did so. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahu ta'ala khayl Muhammadin wa alayhi wa sahabihi wa sallam.